Well, uh, welcome uh, back. Uh, maybe you've listened to the first episode already. Um, this is Rev Chris, and uh, we're reading through Mark's Gospel. Um, we read chapter one. We're on chapter two now. Uh, I'm with my guest and friend, David Ingle from burningheart.org. Welcome back, David. Thanks very much. I'm glad I've been invited back. It wasn't too much of a disaster last time. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was super informative. I'm um, looking forward to uh, feedback and reading more comments from people who've listened to the first one. But we're going to crack straight into uh, Mark chapter two. And if, if, if for some odd reason you're joining us on chapter two, we're reading... Uh, through the gospel and we're talking about it as we read it and that's basically it guys mm. uh, we're going to read scripture talk about it share our thoughts and feelings mm. and um, hopefully it will be blessing to you as it will be to us so um, let me begin oh should I say a prayer yeah, good plan. Well, That's I, good. I, I prayed last time. Why, why didn't you pray? Okay, uh, Lord God, we thank you so much for, for your word. And we thank you that you meet us and speak to us through it. And we pray that you do that, Lord. We pray, first of all, that, that Chris and I would encounter you as we read through it. And then as we encounter you, we'd be able to share that encounter with others. And that uh, through the, the words of the Bible themselves, uh, people would meet with you, but also that maybe we might have something that is helpful to someone listening as well. So come, Holy Spirit, help, we pray. Amen. 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 So Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, the NIV. After a few days, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But that you may know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Well, that's still cool story, isn't it? That is a good story. Am, am I allowed to, to start with a, a slightly kind of crazy and not very <coughs> godly and biblical um, thing, which is... Go for it. I often think, what is the homeowner thinking? I mean, maybe it is actually <laughs> Jesus' home, but everyone yeah. else is amazed and glorifying <laughs> yeah. God and like, wow, this is cool. And he's like, what's ripping happened to my roof? That's my roof. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> I wonder what happened after that. But, oh, man. I, I mean, this story is, is incredible and... Um, and it and it comes so early in the gospel where you you just see the divinity, right? Mm. You see the divinity of Jesus being seen. And let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about that. David, I know you're probably chewing at the bit here. <laughs> Go on, launch into why. Why does this 
passage speak to us that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, that he is God incarnate? Well, ironically, um, and I think there is an irony here that de- deliberately in the way that Mark presents it to us, mm. um, the, the the guys who are having a go at Jesus, mm. um, the scribes or the teachers of the law, they're not entirely wrong. They say, um, who can forgive sins but God alone? And, and I think that um, Mark was expecting his original audience to be like, yeah, I mean, who can forgive mm. sins apart mm. from God alone? I mean, if I come and whack you over the head with a cricket bat or sure. something like that, mm. um, that'll be, I'll be, please don't do that. Yeah, well, I'll try not to. Um, <laughs> but if I do, yeah. um, and then, you know, some random passerby comes in and says, oh, it's okay, David, you're forgiven. You're yeah. going to be like, hang yeah, on a sec. I'm the one. Well, why are you forgiving him? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I, they're absolutely right. Only God can forgive sins. Mm. And so. Because in, the sin is against him. Yeah, well, I think it, it's against people and yeah. God has made us and mm. God loves us. And mm. when we when we sin against one another, we're destroying the mm. world that he's made and we're destroying one another. And so ultimately, while it is against an individual, it's even more so yes. and ultimately against God. Yeah. But, but, well, you, you kind of think, okay, when you first read it, the, mm. the issue is you, you're, they've got it wrong, but actually mm. they haven't got it wrong. Mm. It's, is Jesus God? Yes. Does he have the authority to say that? And, and he seems to be addressing that directly, exactly. right? At the yeah. beginning of this, this is what gets me. It's like some people are like, oh, he never claimed, you know, uh, you know, am I the son of God? And other, you know, other people might say, well, where does he say that? And it's quite clear right now at the very beginning yeah. of Mark's gospel, he's saying, I can do this. Yes. Therefore, yes, as you said, only God can forgive sins. So what is your conclusion from that? <laughs> exactly. Yes, that's and, right. And he I says, am God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then not only does he say, I am God, I mean, because yeah. I mean, anyone can say I am God and there are plenty of people who do claim to be God and, mm. um, you know, newsflash, they're wrong, um, <laughs> but, sure. but Jesus backs it up and he yeah. says, okay, well, I'm going to prove to you yeah. that I have the authority to forgive sins. I'm going to mm. re- prove to you that I'm God by doing this amazing miracle. Mm. And in some ways, I think there's something there to unpack as well, because, mm. um, you know, why does a miracle prove yeah. that he's got this authority that he's got. Um, and I think that goes to the heart of as well, what is a miracle? And sometimes you hear people say, oh, I'm very scientifically minded. Mm. I can't believe in miracles mm. because miracles are scientifically impossible. Mm. And that is the whole point. Right. What Jesus is doing here is impossible. <clears throat> you know, you cannot heal a paralytic person mm. with a, with a word yeah. unless you're God. Mm. And, and, um, you know, God who is outside of time and the world, he can do it. He yeah. can, he can intervene mm. and because he's not bound by this world that we live in Sure, and because he's the creator of it. And, and so Jesus by then healing this person shows mm. at the very least that God is at work through what he's doing. So, mm. you know, either God's with him mm. or, well, He's claiming to be God here. Yeah. And if he was claiming to be God and blaspheming like they say, and he wasn't, mm. God would not be intervening to heal this guy on his behalf. Mm. So so that the proof is the miracle. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, what what Mark wants us to be doing is 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 absolutely being hit by this. Yeah. That, that you know, oh my goodness, Jesus is God. Yeah. And I know that because only God can forgive sins. And I know Jesus can forgive sins because this miracle proves it. Yeah. Because he's basically saying, well, anyone can say your sins are forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I could say, oh, David, your sins are forgiven. And you go, Thanks oh, oh, oh well, what does that mean? But he's basically saying, and yeah. so you, you can believe that your sins are forgiven. Here's this miracle, which mm. you will see in front of you right now. And only God can do that. 
Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you can imagine, you can see why this one gets into the Bible. I mean, it, it's... You, you, it, this story has got everything. I mean, they ought to make it into a Hollywood film. You know, you've got the the guys messing around with the roof. You've got the fact that that um, uh, you, you know, that everyone's there and nobody can get in. And then you've got this confrontation. I mean, it's mm. I mean, it's blockbuster stuff. Seal Team <laughs> Six lowering yeah. through the rafters. Um. Okay. Cool. Well. Yeah. That's a that's a good start. Um. Yeah. Is there anything I tell you? Get up. Take your mat. Go home. He got up. Took his mat. Walked out in full view of them all. I love that. Full can, view. You can imagine what... Am- everyone amazed. Wow. Understatement. I've never seen anything like this. Boom. All right. Let's carry on. Verse from verse, verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him as he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up. And followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So what's wrong with tax collectors? Because, <laughs> you know, they're just doing a job. They are like, you know, tax men today, I suppose. Are they not? They're, they're doing a job. They're helping you pay your taxes. Like, why Why are tax collectors bad? Well, much as I hate giving my money to anybody else, and therefore none of us enjoy paying tax, mm. there is absolutely nothing wrong with tax collectors today. Mm. Yeah. And it, it, it's all to do with, with what they were like in the ancient world. Mm. And there, there's two big things that you need to know about tax collectors. Mm. Um, the first was that they were collaborators. So... Um, mm. Think of the sort of um, the Second World War, all those old war movies you've seen and, Mm. you know, the Nazis have invaded France Mm. and, you know, the people who side with the Nazis, the French people who side with the Nazis. They're like the tax collectors. They're like the tax collectors because what the tax collectors are doing is they're, they're Jewish people but they are taking tax off their own people yeah. to give to the Romans. Sure. Um, and they are they mm. are part of the Roman oppression. Mm. And, and actually taxes in the ancient world were very oppressive. So mm. the rich didn't pay taxes. So if you were rich and powerful, you didn't pay taxes. If you were poor and powerless, you did, which right. is kind of the opposite of the way we expect it to be Those today. Guys. So, so mm. it's, it's all about a, a, a oppression and exploitation, but it's mm. worse because the way that it works in the Roman world is the Romans would basically just contract out the taxes. So if you were a tax collector, mm. apologies here, but they'd be like, okay, Chris, um, how much, you know, we, we want this amount of tax. How much are you, you going to do it for? And um, you, you would come into an agreement with them and you'd agree that you were going to pay X many, it wasn't dollars or pounds or whatever, sesterces, denarii, X, denarii exactly, yeah. to the Romans. And, um, uh, but then you could, set what you were going to take off everyone else sure, a yeah. bit higher. So it's a little bit more like if the tax man came to you and said, you owe 100 quid tax and I have 200 quid, please. You'd be like, hang on a sec, yeah. but, but you owe, I only owe 100 quid. Yeah. And he'd be like, yeah, but I want 100 quid. And, and that's you've what got to give did. it to me. Yeah. And, and, and then it was even worse because if you said no, then they just brought in the Roman army and took it off you anyway. Right. So everyone so, <laughs> hated them. Everyone hated them because they were corrupt, they were exploitative, they were collaborators. I mean, they were pretty nasty guys. There was a, there's a, maybe some of the people listening to this have, have watched it. There's that um, 
that YouTube uh, thing called The Chosen. I don't know if you ever got to watch any of that. Do you know, I've heard so many good things about it, but yeah. I haven't watched yeah, yeah, it yeah. yet. So I watched the first few and then I think it went private and yet to subscribe. <laughs> okay. I haven't done that. But I really enjoyed it. Anyway, there's this, there's this uh, uh, tax collector, Matthew Levi. Yeah. And um, he's really cool. Interesting character. Um, anyway, it's just a random thought. Uh, that thought made me think of it. When I think about the tax collectors now, it's funny how films influence your mind about mm, how you picture it. Yeah. So I picture that guy. Quite interesting. Was he a nice guy? You, he you was. Know? He was misunderstood, actually. Oh, misunderstood. Okay. Well, I'm afraid I don't think he was misunderstood. <laughs> I just don't think he was very nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's carry on. Let's carry on. I, I suppose, well, as in, carry on reading the next bit? Or Yeah. Or you, you have something else you want I, to say? I suppose all I was going to say is... is um, I mean, it is kind of cool that Jesus calls this guy who is, yes, you know, okay, t- yeah. t- turns around. He, he's done awful things. He's mm. an exploitative, horrible mm. person. But, but yet, Jesus gives him the it gives him the chance to be, to be forgiven and to to mm. be put right with God. Yeah. And then he slightly skewers and Mark slightly skewers people like me, which I find a little bit more awkward. Mm. Like because you and I we're, I think you might say religious leaders. Yes. And, um, the people who come off really badly in the gospels, oh, religious, the leaders. religious <laughs> leaders, are like, "Oh, okay, this yeah. is this is awkward." And mm. and you know, part of the message of this is is for people like Levi. You know, bad people can be forgiven, yeah. and you know, I've come to to rescue um, those who are sick. Mm. But part of it is, I think, there's a sort of hidden hook here, and he says, um, "Those who are well have no need of a doctor." Um, but the implication is that none of us are well. And and right. those of us who are kind of super self righteous and think, oh, you know, I'm a religious leader, you know, I'm I'm holier than thou. Um, well, I don't think that. But mm. anyway, you know what I mean. Yes. You know, actually, whew, there's a there's a moment for a deep breath if yeah. you are a religious leader, if you are someone who's um, been a Christian for a long time, somebody who who thinks they're okay. Yeah. Okay, maybe I'm not. Um, yeah. And and that maybe. Um, Therefore, the message for me is to stop and, and kind of reflect honestly. Yeah, you know, what do I need healing for? What I think, do I need forgiveness for? And the answer is actually more than I sometimes care to admit. Yeah, I I see that happening so much in biblical characters um, over and over again. I mean, classically, um, I suppose Gideon is someone who comes to mind, and I and I reflect on it in my own life where. You know, with Gideon, he was this, you know, threshing grain in a wine press mm-hmm. and then becomes this great hero of the Israelites and defeats the Israelites' enemies and he raises up and and then um, he, in a sense, comes from this weak place and God encourages him and builds him up and he becomes this great leader. But then his reliance on God slowly twists to reliance mm. on himself and then he ends up setting up this ephod and the people prostrate themselves and he sets up an idol for them towards the end of his life. And this, this idea, and I think as priests, as leaders, and maybe others, we need to be aware of this, is we come from this when we first come to Christ, perhaps we acknowledge the weakness. We acknowledge um, the need yeah. of, of salvation of Christ, of, of walking humbly with God. And then we become strengthened. We become uh, built up through our, hopefully through our love of God and our relationship with building up. But then suddenly that can turn into now becoming just, I'm self-sustaining. Mm. I'm, I'm able to do everything myself. And, and that's when you start to see, unfortunately, as we see in the world, church leaders, people in 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 places where they have raised up in for instance christian ministry and then they've fallen and 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 it feels like to me like they've lost that initial understanding of their own frailty their own need of a 
a savior mm. um, and there's that humility that has dropped away mm. and so I so just you know bouncing off what you said about I've come to I haven't called to come to righteousness I've called to sinners we always need to remember actually I'm still quite broken mm. I still need Jesus yeah. and it's not because of how good or wide or the numbers of ministry or anything else like that it's just he loves me he calls me his own he saved me and I need saving mm. I'm like keep coming back to that keep coming back to that and that will help you remain humble i think yeah it's really good through, walk through life uh judges six i think it is if, oh, if, you, if you don't know well, i was gonna say if you don't know the story of gideon it's a good one. Oh, go, right, go yeah. read it yeah yeah um mm. but um sure. yeah i know what you mean and i mean the most famous pharisee in the new testament is paul because right, he was yeah. a pharisee and he describes himself later as the worst yes. of sinners yeah, yes. but i sometimes think i I could be wrong, but I reckon Paul was here and he was like one of the guys who yeah. was sparring with Jesus and like, I'm really self-righteous. Sure. But then he needed to be broken. And, mm. and, and and you're right, we need to be broken. Broken is the wrong w- word because that implies that Jesus has got us in for it. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we need to recognise that recognize. we are broken yeah. so that Jesus can fix us. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, it's really good. Mm. Okay, let's carry on. Verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and no, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. So I want to I stop there, because I, I want to start with that beginning bit and think about fasting. Hmm. Do you fast, David? I knew you were going to ask me this question, and the honest answer is not very much. Okay. Um, I it's one of those spiritual disciplines that mm. I've never quite got going on, and I know I I know I need to because I think there's real value in fasting. Although I'm very mm. tempted to try and use this passage and mm. explain why I don't need to fast <laughs> either, uh, but I don't think that's what it's saying. Uh, so uh, maybe I'm the wrong person to ask about something mm. which I have to admit I'm not so good at. So, do you fast? Uh, I do. Ah. I do fast. I um, I think it is actually really really important and. Um, I think it's a lost art. In mm. fact, I, I come the my passion in terms of um, Christian teaching and influence for my life is looking at desert fathers mm. and um, some of the more contemplatives in the past and um, the monastic influences from the past. Yeah. And uh, I'm a Franciscan, third order Franciscan, and I started a thing called Young Franciscans. And I and fasting is a part of my spirituality uh, from early days. Uh, in Africa, mm. I used to fast uh, once a week, and then I went through a period of practicing abstinence. So, fasting—not to go off too much of a tangent—but let's let's talk about fasting for yeah. a bit. So, so fasting is specifically food. Okay, okay, so you can't fast anything else. No. So people sometimes talk about, oh, I'm fasting. Um, I was going to say chocolate. You can actually do. You <laughs> yeah. can do that. I mean, fasting like TV or yeah. fasting Netflix. That isn't fasting. That is abstinence. Is it 
but it's it's still good. Still good and viable and part of self control and discipline and um and it's a spiritual kind of exercise, mm. which is really good for you. But there is something quite powerful that I think happens with fasting, specifically obviously fasting food. That is mm. what fasting is. You stop yourself eating food for a while and I find that I've reintroduced it more recently. I, uh, part of my rule of life, I have a, a rule of life that I've written. I could talk more about that another time. But for that rule of life that I have been living with for a few years now, I used to fast once a month. Hmm. But the last couple of months, um, or even as recently as last month, I've decided, actually, no, I want to do it once a week again. And I found that the, the discipline of fasting, what I do is I, I don't eat, breakfast and i don't eat lunch but i will eat a dinner so i'll fast for like a certain okay. amount of the day um and I, that really grows you there is something about you stopping yourself eating that encourages your spiritual life to grow it it what i find identifies quite quickly the idols in your life so is it, it for you it is just not eating because I've, I've heard sometimes people say mm. well the thing about fasting is that you fast and then you free up the time that you would have been eating to pray and it's all about no, the prayer no, then no. i mean maybe you do pray yeah. i know you pray well, as well yeah. but but it but actually um for it's the exercise it's the itself ex yeah. is a spiritual exercise and i find it very powerful i want i would encourage people to be wise with it and, and it takes a while if you mm. just do it straight off the bat and you've never done it before it is very difficult and you will go through like you know you have to be careful and dizziness and, and sugar levels and everything like that but you get used to it and it becomes a lot easier but what happens but I, in some ways the, the difficulty i mean mm, i is, do do it yeah. but not very often sure. i should do it more and i think one of the things is it exposes the sort of the fleshiness and the sinfulness yes. in me and mm. i really want to eat mm. and then i get mm. a bit grumpy and and and, mm. and i shouldn't get grumpy and, mm. and suddenly i realize i'm not quite such a cool guy as i thought i was yeah um so so actually, in some ways, you don't want it to be too easy, surely? No, but <clears throat> I think when you start fasting, what happens is it feels like, or what I've noticed is that it reveals the idols. That, mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is those things that are maybe poor practices or, you know, sinful tendencies mm -hmm. that draw you away. Uh, they become more, you become more aware of them when you fast. Mm -hmm. So if it is anger, Maybe you've got some like recurring anger issues. If you fast, you will find that that will come out stronger. And you're like, oh, wow, I'm really, I'm quite angry. Mm. Maybe that is something I actually need to deal with. If it's um, lust, maybe you're someone who struggles with lust or if you, maybe you're not aware of it, but when you fast, you suddenly become, oh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm lusting a little bit more. Mm. It's interesting. I found that that those kind of idols have been exposed when I've been fasting. It's as if the flesh I mean, isn't, isn't that a bad thing though. <laughs> like if it makes you more angry and more lustful, well, surely that's no. <laughs> because why do you go to the desert? You go, you, you know, you go to the desert not to go to a lovely place where you can <laughs> sing with the angels. You go for the mm. trial and the formation that happens mm. there. Um, and retreats. When we talk about retreats, retreats used. To, you know, the idea of a retreat is to go and maybe sit in the lovely place of prayer. Well, actually, no. The, the idea of retreat, the form, it's it's to fight the devil. Mm. It's to go to the desert place to where you are exposed to the devil's schemes and the way in which he fights you and you learn his tactics against you. So fasting is is tough, but it's be, it's in that formational place that you learn how the enemy attacks you and therefore you have better uh, ability to fight back. So uh, I think that it is 
it is a it is a a thing we need to rediscover. And if you're someone who's struggling with certain things, I would encourage you to, to, to fast. practice fasting so that you can develop spiritual I, gifts that way. I really agree with you, and mm. I and I'm convicted, and I I need to do more. <laughs> I feel that there's a couple of areas there where mm. we're talking about fasting. I need to push you a little bit harder, mm-hmm. um, and one of them is. Um, as a pastor, one of the things that I say to people when mm. they come to me and they say, um, hey, I'm struggling with something, yeah. is don't put yourself in the place where you're struggling with it. So mm. somebody comes to me and says, I, I think I might be an alcoholic. I don't say go hang out in the pub. Sure. Um, somebody says, hey, I struggle with lust. I don't say yeah. go to a strip joint. Yes, um, of course. I, I don't think I say to anybody go to a strip <laughs> yeah, joint. But, <laughs> <yes>. Hopefully <laughs> but, not. What's different about this? What, why so, is this not just putting yourself in in a place where you're because gonna while you are more while you're exposing the um, in a sense you're you're more clearly able to see the enemy against you. You are also giving yourself the re- the resources to fight that thing. Mm. So I I find that when I I fast, while I'm more aware, I can see more clearly the weaknesses. Mm. I'm also doing a practice that is inherently something spiritual is going on. So you're focusing yourself on God. Yeah, where I am feeding my my spirit with the denial of the flesh. Hmm. And, um, you know, not to get into the kind of heresy of the flesh is bad and the spirit is good, but the understanding that the flesh can, it does bring weakness. We carry Hmm. weakness within our flesh. But when I when I, in a sense, fight that, when I push that back and then I encourage my mm. spirit, then it's in those places that I'm, I find I'm, I can, it gives me greater resources for future periods of time where mm. I might need to uh, show self-control. Yeah. And so fasting encourages or increases, it's like the spiritual muscle of self-control. Mm. I suppose also you're not actually putting yourself in a position like you know if the thing you struggle with is is drink mm. fasting might make you more aware that you're struggling with it but you're not sat in the pub and no. there isn't that there mm. um i suppose they it does sort of under what i asked before does lead me to another question which sure. is uh, what people often ask when mm. talking about fasting what are, what about those people and um, what would you say to those people who are in a position where they're really vulnerable in, in one of these areas mm. you, you know maybe you know, they've just started recovery as an alcoholic, or I suppose m- more obviously, there's a lot of people who have a difficult relationship with food. Yes. Um, you know, if you've got an eating disorder yes. or something like that, yes. I probably wouldn't say yes. go fast because yes. it could become something there's quite different. There's nothing worse than, you know, a, a, a Christian with a Bible who, <laughs> who claims he has all the answers and actually you just need to see a professional. Uh, so I would say if you're, you know, there are always going to be those people who are, if, you, if you're an addict, you need help. Yeah. You know, um, if you break your arm, you go to a doctor, mm. you, you don't go to your priest. So if you're suffering with something that is um, uh, as severe as an addiction, mm. then you're going to need help and you should seek help from your GP. If it's mental health, mm. you know, see a GP, start there, see counsellors. But I'm I'm talking in, in a sense really to... And you'd say the same, you probably wouldn't say to an anorexic, no, start of fasting. <laughs> no, of course not. You'd say, no. go see your GP. I would be like, yeah you don't, this isn't, this isn't the practice necessarily for you. <laughs> um, certainly not at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just basically speaking to the general Christian who is, you know, going to church, reading mm. his Bible and 
has never really come across fasting. I would say it's a great spiritual exercise that sadly has been lost in the modern mm. church. It used to be just completely acceptable in the early church as Jesus not just acceptable, expected. expected that you would fast on you know twice a week, even Wednesdays mm. and Fridays. Uh, in the monastic tradition, you would always have fish mm. on a you know. Uh, That's coming back in Friday? some schools. Yeah. There's a lot of schools that have fish on a Friday, but nobody knows, knows what, why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fish would be used instead of meat as a part of a, a fasting thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I would just encourage you. There are some really probably good resources out there about fasting. Mm. And figure out what was for you. So I eat in the evening. Yeah. You know, I, I don't fast 24-hour periods straight. I do it, you know, once a week. I've mm. also practiced abstinence in the past, mm. which is just a, a, another form of mm. self-discipline, but not to do with food um so um yeah i anyway, know look into it because i think it, it has yeah. been helpful and i think hopefully there is better teaching out there about it and more people are doing it mm. yeah no i well i know i need to yeah okay but the, the, the arrow has landed yeah, okay well <laughs> can, can i ask you one question about this though sure, which is sure, okay sure. You, we've just been talking about how good fasting is okay but basically this passage is about yeah. the disciples <laughs> said, not fasting yeah, what's exactly. actually going on here <laughs> yeah 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 oh well i mean here i, I think jesus is saying this is a time of celebration you know yeah. the bride is here the groom um is right you know you don't fast in the time of celebration you fast in a way when they're gone and you need you need the you need the power the self-control you need you need the the um, you haven't got the one there who's who's just going to take care of it at that moment if jesus was here right now and i i i wouldn't necessarily be too worried about the stuff mm -hmm. i'm struggling with if i knew he was going to be with me because he'll be or he'll be straight away handling it with me but isn't he i mean yes. hasn't he promised that he is going to be with us yeah, by the hallelujah. holy spirit oh you're um, really pushing me on this one now <laughs> uh, yes but th that isn't what he's saying in this passage yeah, i mean I bringing it back to the context <laughs> he's simply saying look i'm with them and this is a time of celebration yeah. and and let us go forward in, the, in this time of celebration together. And he's basically highlighting who he is mm. to the to the Pharisees. If anyone wants to see it, he's like, hey, look, you, you're not quite seeing who I am. I am I am the bridegroom. I'm the one that Israel has been waiting for. And um, this isn't a time of fasting. This is a time of celebration. If only you would see that. If only you would recognize it. That's what he's doing here. That actually brings us on to our next bit quite well as well, because he's having a go at them about another area and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of this one as the well. The Sabbath. Yeah. Great. Should we read on? One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of, uh, this is a classic, Abathar, Abiathar. <laughs> How do you say that, David? I don't know. Okay. Guys, I don't think anybody Classic that, example. Just read it with confidence. So let me start that again. <laughs> In the days of Abathar, <laughs> I did that badly. <laughs> Sorry. In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, "The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath." So that's the end of chapter two. But let's talk about the Sabbath. Mm. Um. David, what is a Sabbath? Very good question. Uh, so the Sabbath was one day a week. Yep. And we actually, we get our, our seven day week from mm -hmm. from uh, the Israelites, from the Jews. Um, the Romans used to have an eight day week, for instance, or was it a 10 day week? But it, it wasn't seven. Right. And um, right right back in the sort of Old Testament law, mm. um, 
Ten Commandments, you know, most people are aware of them, even if we don't know them all. There's, there's this this idea of the, of the Sabbath and that one day a week mm. you do no work. Um, and it, 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 it's there's a positive and a negative. The positive is you do no work. Yep. And then the, sorry, the negative is you do no work. And the positive is that it's, it's holy to the Lord. So it's a yeah. day when you focus your attention on him. So it's and is it to day. do with the, you know, in Genesis, the rest of God took a rest? But funny enough, in, in the, the Ten Commandments, the, sorry, this is me going down a, a, a geeky avenue. But, go for um, it. In, I'll bring in, you back if we okay. go too far down. <laughs> in, in the Old Testament, we get the, the Ten Commandments recorded twice. So we get right. when they're originally given in Exodus chapter 20, mm. and then we get where Moses um, is preaching about the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, and mm. he retells the story in Deuteronomy 5. Mm. And in Exodus chapter 20, it's tied back to creation. And right. God says, because it's God who speaks the Ten Commandments, God says, um, you know, six days he laboured in creation or six time periods, however you understand yeah. it. And then on the seventh, he rested and therefore we should rest as well. And there's a mm. sense of us entering into God's rest. Yeah. Um, uh, but then in Deuteronomy 5, he ties it back to the Exodus. And he says, you were slaves in Egypt mm. and you knew no rest because slaves are sort of oppressed. Yeah. Um, and now you, you're not slaves. And, and part of what they're meant to be doing on the Sabbath is remembering that God has given them rest, rest. from their yeah. toil and their labor. And so I, I, I said that there's a, there's a negative and a positive, but they're doing no work. There's something glorious about it. Yeah. Um, and, and we live in a world today, which is, which, you know, sorry to say there, there is this, this element. I mean, if you go on Instagram or other social media mm. aspects, you'll see this, you need to be the hardest worker in the room. Yeah. You need to be, if when everyone else is resting, you should be working, you know, and there's that attitude that, you know, and even British people say that. As yeah, well. I know. <laughs> and you know, there can be that kind of Protestant mindset of like work, 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 you know? And, um, and I, you know, that that's really unhealthy, I think is unbiblical. It, I, I feel like we're not meant to rest uh, from a place of work. We're meant to work from a place of rest. Mm. And I think that we need to rediscover what what rest is. And I think the Sabbath, as Jesus says, you know, He's basically saying it's not Sabbath isn't isn't something that you just is a legalistic requirement of who you are. It's a good mm. thing for you. This mm. it's made it's made for you to to rest. To, to have peace and in a way to trust, to trust mm. in God. And, you know, the, the workaholics among us, um, it's just really unhealthy. It's unsustainable. It's mm. not good for you. As a priest, I know that um, the best me is a rested, filled up me. That's the best mm. priest, you know, that I can be for my people, mm. for the people I lead and love and serve. They want a rested, filled up Chris mm. who is, you know, in 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 a sense in tune in step with the mm. spirit and if i'm working if i'm doing loads of ministries and i'm burnt out that is no good so um yeah i think we need to kind of rediscover what it means to to have sabbath and to to rest mm. um I, yeah this has definitely been a, a personal journey for me mm. um i i, I read a, a few years back um a wonderful devotional kind of book reading through the the gospels by a kind of great Victorian bishop. It's got a very Victorian title, Expository Thoughts on the Gospels. Don't be put off by that. This <laughs> guy's called J.C. Ryle, and okay. he was first bishop of Liverpool. Mm. And 
Um, I know, right? C.S. Lewis once said you, you should read um, things from like previous eras because yes. they challenge you because they, they don't think like you do. Yeah. And one of the main things that really made me think differently was how he talked about the Sabbath. Mm. And because um, I'd always thought, oh, well, the Sabbath, you know, where Jesus said we don't need to do it anymore. We're free from the Sabbath. Right. And, and, and yet he, he was really engaging with the Sabbath. And, and it really just got me rethinking and, and realizing that what Jesus is having a go at here mm. is people who've almost subverted and perverted the Sabbath. Mm. Because the point of the Sabbath is it, it was meant to be a gift mm. that recentered our focus on yeah, God, exactly. uh, which enabled us to rest and was a positive thing. And mm. what they turned it into mm. was a burden. Yeah. Rather than focusing on God, they were mm. focusing on, you know, what are you allowed to do? Mm. And there was a very sort of legalistic rules mm. about do, you do this, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, et cetera, et cetera. But actually that the Sabbath is a really beautiful thing. And it was the first chink for me in, in a kind of, um, I think a misunderstanding that I picked up from the world, which is very much what you're talking about. You know, mm. you need to work really hard and, um, you know, and I, and I'd heard some stuff which was good, but then had been pushed too far that like, you know, I'm, I'm working for God and, you know, yeah. if people out there yeah. who aren't working for God are work, yeah. willing to work all the hours God gives, well then yeah. surely I should work even harder because yeah. I'm working for the church. And, and actually that's not, that's not what God says at all. Mm. And and you talked about, um, we, we need to rest from, sorry, work from a place of rest yes. rather than rest, rest from, from a place, place of work. work. Yeah. And, and I realized that, um, I was working in London at the time that sort of that the London culture I was a part of was mm -hmm. one where you'd go to a party and you'd say, you know, how are you doing? And the answer was always, I'm really busy. You know, yeah. things are full on. Mm. And, and almost that was said with pride. You yeah. know, I'm really yeah. busy. Yeah. I'm really stressed. I'm so important. I've got so much and, and, and my work's so significant that, you know, I've got to do it or the, the world will fall apart. Mm. And I, and I was really convicted that A, that was a lack of trust in God because mm. it doesn't actually rest all on me, it rests mm. on God. Mm. But B, uh, the Sabbath was the first route in to me thinking about how much the Bible talks about peace yeah. and, and pursuing peace. Mm. And, and that I'd got to a place where I expected to have a low level of stress all the time with the odd holiday mm. when I'd feel when I'd feel good. Mm. Um and and I I almost felt proud of the fact that I was stressed. Yeah. Whereas actually the Bible talks a lot about peace, and it's not always easy to attain it. You know, it's not. Mm. This is not just saying you know pray and then suddenly yeah. life will all be happy. But yeah. but that that we're encouraged to pursue peace. Mm. We're encouraged to seek to be in a place of of rest and mm. and live our life from that. And one of the first ways in which I started pursuing peace was by uh, trying to observe a, a mm. Sabbath, mm. and I've just found it transformatively positive yeah. for me i don't find it a burden mm. taking a day off just mm. it refreshes it mm. relaxes me mm. you know it's it's a really beautiful thing amen amen should we keep going i, I, haven't, I haven't prepared yeah, so, so much I mean, on chapter three, but that's probably no bad thing because the point of this is we're meant to be reading we through are. it and yes, thinking got, on it so, i'm just reading the bible um i'm i will have to admit that i have done some You've prep done and some. this isn't just all coming off the top of my head but now it is yeah <laughs> and, and if if the next bit is better than the last bit then we'll, then, we'll know then 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 God's... that might tell me that that maybe i should just just read it more often well, maybe he's going to remind <laughs> us that we should just rest and then just yeah, read yeah. <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> okay, uh, Mark chapter 3. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. 
Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked round at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Um, That's really interesting. I, I've not picked up before that verse 5, he looked around at them in anger. Mm. What is your, tra- do you have a different translation? Uh, funny enough, on this one I, I do because of the way I do my notes. But yeah, he, he looked around at them in anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Yeah, there you are. I mean, I, I, I think it's what we've just been talking about, mm. which is that they've made the Sabbath something yeah. something else. You mm. know, the Sabbath is a gift of God to Israel that's mm. meant to help them to go deeper in their relationship yeah. with Israel and to be refreshed and mm. renewed. And actually, one of the interesting things about the Sabbath laws in the Old Testament is that they include everyone, mm. um, even actually down to your, like, ox mm. and and everyone is protected and everyone is given this gift and it's meant to be something that makes everyone's life better and actually what they are using mm. the sabbath law to do is mm. to destroy and 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 jesus is not only saying you're having a go at me you're trying to undermine me he's not only saying you've you've got the wrong end of the stick but you're destroying people as mm. well and um i mean we don't think of jesus being angry but in some ways I'm pleased mm. that he is angry yeah. because a God who doesn't care when yeah. people are just using legalistic righteousness to destroy people, mm. that's mm. not the God that I find in the Bible. Do you, think, do you think we still do it today, though? Do you think we still, like, I, 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 like um, turn, turn, it, turn our kind of Christian walk into legalism and you know like just randomly i think this morning i was checking my instagram and um someone had written a message to me saying uh is it okay to wear makeup hmm. and uh and i think he was saying you know the, the, a guy was saying that his dad was in acting or something and he wore makeup and like one king said something about something to do with makeup and i was like oh man you've just <laughs> you've lost so if you're a- asking me about like should should a person wear makeup and does that offend God? I was like, I think there's something missing here. Mm. I feel like you're missing the point of what Christ is saying, and and you know we do we do sometimes do that. I think we still turn our walk into a legalistic kind of you know these are the hymns we should sing in church mm. or. This is the this is the way that the worship band should be or not, and this, you know our, my church pleases God because it does it like this. Or, <laughs> yeah. And you know we still we still do that, and I really think that Jesus would be like, oh guys, I've literally written about this. You know, read your Bibles, um, and we we can do that. I I think it's a really difficult one mm. because I think on one level actually, you know, you go back to the old Old Testament. I've been mm. doing a lot of work recently on Deuteronomy. I'm yeah. making a film series on it soon, and, and Deuteronomy. The, yeah, oh, it's a good book. Mm. It's a, a lost masterpiece that we need to rediscover. Okay, and there's there's lots of grace in there. Uh, one yeah. Old Testament scholar called yeah. it the, the, the gospel according to to Moses. Right. Wow. Um, but there's also the rules and and the laws. Mm. But again and again, like the the phrase that um, comes up is do this that it may go well with you. Sure. And this this idea that God 
doesn't give us the rules because he's wanting, you know, he's wanting to ruin our fun. He, mm. He's showing us the blueprint for life and saying, mm. do this and and life will go well. And, but do and, we lose and, the wood in the trees? Well, I suppose this is what I'm saying. I, mean, yeah. I, I think I've called it in one place, wellness God's way. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and, and there's a lot in the Bible about holiness and obedience to God and, and all of that. And yet yeah. we're called back to, to grace. Yes. Um, and um, and sometimes we we forget that the whole Bible always starts with grace. Go back to the Old Testament. Mm. Before you get to the Ten Commandments and the first rules, you've had 69 chapters. It's in Exodus 20, 69 chapters mm. of grace and of God reaching out mm. to them. Everything's rooted in grace. Everything's rooted in our relationship with God. Mm. Um, and, and there's forgiveness before we get anywhere. Mm. Um, and and so on one level, I kind of want to say, actually, you know, the, the rules and the laws and, and the stuff is good. And, you know, yep. the Sabbath stuff, we've just been talking about yep. how Sabbath is really positive yeah. and, it, and it sets you, you free. Do it. This is this yeah. is great. But but then I, I think Jesus managed to get it right. Jesus was 100% obedient to the law mm. and 100% grace. Mm. And and I think we actually get it wrong in, or I get, I get it wrong in both <laughs> yeah. directions. Yeah. You know, we, we're insufficiently keen to live my life God's way. Yeah. And we're far too quick to point out when you're not living life yeah. God's way. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there's that story, isn't there, when Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye. And, and I'm just... I'm conscious how 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 easily I I, I get both sure. things wrong, and I, and so I don't have a Sabbath, and I mm. suffer from it, or I don't read the Bible, I don't pray, I don't fast, mm. and and I suffer as a result. My relationship mm. with God suffers, but then fasting can really easily become just a legalistic yes. thing that I do, and it sure. becomes a burden, and it doesn't yeah. pay the dividends we've just been talking about. And if you know, I've probably found that the best indicator of whether I'm getting a bit too legalistic is whether I think I'm getting a bit too legalistic. And when I think I'm fine, that's when I've usually gone off the rails. Right, right. Because um, I, I I, definitely do it. And, and sometimes I... It's, yeah, it's yeah, interesting, I just, I, I, I suddenly stop and I think, hang on a sec, am I doing this because I love Jesus? You know, even things like reading the Bible. Like, yeah. am I reading the Bible because I love Jesus? Or am I reading the Bible because I think that... I should do. You, you know, because I'm a vicar, I must read the Bible. Mm. And... I wish I said that never happened, but the, the latter does but, sometimes happen. Yeah, I know, but I would say, right, this is one of the things, I would say that there is, like like that, like going back to, maybe I said it in the first podcast, like that Benedictine, Benedictine monk said to me, sometimes your prayer life sustains you, sometimes mm. you sustain it. Like there are practices that sometimes it, it feels like, oh, I'm going through the motions, mm. but they're still good yeah. to do them. Mm. They're still good to go through them. And, and people talk about, I'm, I'm, Christianity is a relationship. It's not a religion, right? But there are some, the Bible talks about good religion, good, mm. po- you know, he talks about this is a good religion and there's bad religion or false religion. And, you know, uh, some people criticize um, liturgy, you know, like mm. uh, liturgical services. They say, oh, it's just like by rote and you're just repeating stuff. I, you know, I love liturgy when it's done well. It feeds me. There's times where I can rest in it. I don't feel like I have to do anything. It's not like my Christianity is based on how how I'm emotionally feeling. You know, there's a time in which I sustain stuff. Like, for instance, let's say I don't feel like reading the Bible, but I'm going to read the Bible because it is actually good for me to keep the discipline. Right. So there's a there is a weird balance. Right. Where it's like I'm not if I go to a prayer meeting, say, say we do a prayer meeting like every day. Right. And like, 
you go along and at the beginning you're all like hands up and you're speaking in tongues and it's it's woohoo and it's great and it's like wow and you come away from a prayer meeting like that and you're like oh wow it's so profound but you're not going to do that every day most likely but what you probably could do every day is do a morning prayer or an evening prayer or, mm. or something more liturgical and while you might not have the emotional high in that moment that is sustainable when while perhaps the more emotionally charged prayer meetings isn't sustainable because the truth is simply there are times where you're feeling knackered and you're just down or something terrible has happened and you actually feel you need to spend some time holding it in grief and having something that you just say being led by someone else is helpful so i don't know i'm just kind of i, I, do you know I, what think, I mean? I think i think i I agree with you. That's why I sort of threw in a moment ago a little bit, if you like, of a defence yes, of, sure. of the laws and obedience <coughs> yes, and the importance yes, sure, of holiness. Sure, yeah. um, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I said, you know, I, I suppose I implied a moment ago we shouldn't read the Bible mm. for any other reason than because we love Jesus. But mm. frankly, um, whenever I read the Bible, it always it always changes and transforms and is positive to me. Mm. And so sometimes I've started reading the Bible for the wrong reasons, but I still get to meet with God through it. So you There are, must be some you, times, David, when you've read the Bible and you're like, oh my gosh, I just, <laughs> that's not gone in. I don't know what I've read there. Okay, yeah. I mean, there are times when... <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm holding you to account. Um, but I am going to yeah. say, if we dig, yes. we, 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 we can usually get something. Yeah, but, okay. Um, but I suppose... Um, in some ways, the, the liturgy one is is a is a good example. Mm. Um, I probably love liturgy less than you do, mm. um, and I don't always use it, but I do love yeah. liturgy. Yeah. And I'm I'm, I'm a bit me. of a geek. I mean, yeah. I have a first edition of the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, oh um, which is the Anglican liturgy. And Where in your house? Yeah, have I seen yeah. that? No, oh I'm probably goodness. not. I bought it disbound very cheap on eBay. It was, it was a good buy, but wow. anyway, I won't, I won't, I won't wow. go down that particular goodness. rabbit hole. But you know, I like collecting old things. I love old things. I've got sure. this 1662 prayer book, and I love the language and I love the prayers, and I do sometimes use them. And um, mm. although probably I, mean, I don't usually use them in leading services and things mm. like that, but and I, and I suppose this is where it comes in. You know, there, there's sometimes there's a tendency where I say I find liturgy can be helpful, or I find yeah. spiritual disciplines helpful. Um, and you know what you were saying, the Benedictine. You know, my prayer life mm. sustains me, and sometimes I sustain yeah, yeah, my sure, prayer sure, life. Yeah. Um, I suppose what's happening here in this passage mm. is that people are then using that to beat somebody else over the head. Yes. So if I say. I find liturgy really helpful. So you mm. must use liturgy. Yes. And uh, if you don't use liturgy, you're a rubbish Christian. Yeah. That's when I've, when, yeah. when I've. Or why do you use that religious nonsense? Because yeah. I'm filled up by the spirit exactly. and I don't need it. Yeah. And, and you know, if you find liturgy leads you to mm. God, then, then do it. Yeah. And if I find that not using liturgy yeah. helps yeah. me to engage with God, then. Yeah. And, and the, the call is that, that we need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mm. strength, mind. You know, we need to be, loving our neighbor as ourselves we need to be living in relationship with god mm. and um you know the, the call to obedience and, mm. and and the laws and the commands that we find in the bible help us to do that mm. but if we don't think that we sometimes have a tendency to do what the guys are doing here which is to then use that to have a go at someone else then i yeah. think we're we're deceiving ourselves and i suppose these guys it's even more than that because mm. they're they they're misusing yeah. you know so it's not it's not even just i find liturgy really helpful so you must do it or yeah. i find no liturgy really helpful so you mustn't do it mm. it's it's they're misusing something so it's not even positive yeah, what yeah, they're sure, doing sure. anyway 
I'm yeah, going yeah. down a rabbit hole. No, no, no. I, I, I get it. I think <clears throat> the main thing for me is just celebrate where there's life in in your Christian journey. Like mm. I, I, I'm quite comfortable worshiping in a liturgical service. I'm comfortable worshiping in a non-liturgical service with worship music. I'm comfortable, you know, with people. Uh, speaking in tongues. I'm comfortable with people not speaking tongues. I'm comfortable in silence. I think I feel like let's mm. celebrate and try to understand the richness of other people's traditions before mm. we just come against it in judgment. Mm. And anyway, we're kind of going off the side, but Jesus. Okay, crowds follow Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, um, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea. And the regions across the Jordan around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the names Boan... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> How do you say that? Boan Erges, which means son of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Cool, let's just stop there for a moment. Yeah. The point, sorry, I'm coughing into this mic. Um, He goes up to a mountainside. It's always interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so we could talk a little bit about mountains in the Bible and in the Old Testament. I mean, one of the times that we hear about mountains... Yeah, well, the the big time is mm. is Mount Sinai. Yeah. Um, uh, it's where God gives the people of Israel the Ten Commandments and mm. sort of establishes His covenant, His relationship with them in a new way. Mm. Just after they've come out of, of Egypt and the Exodus, so it's the it's the big moment, if you like, in the Old Testament law. In many ways, the big moment in the whole Old Testament. And I think that Jesus is very consciously um, yeah. echoing that. Here. He's on a mountainside and he's calling. The 12 to himself. And he's calling 12. Yeah. He, 12 it's like being a an new Israel. You know, yeah. there are 12 tribes to Israel. <laughs> there yeah. are 12 mm-hmm. apostles. We see in the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. that's very explicitly, there's there's the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the Lamb are mm-hmm. sort of spoken about in the same breath. And there's the, this sense that there's the, the Old Testament people of God mm-hmm. and then the sort of fulfillment of their vocation mm-hmm. um, in in the 12 apostles mm-hmm. um, and well, in, well, in Jesus. And then Jesus yes. calls the 12 apostles as the foundation of the of the new people of god um and and we become heirs with israel mm. uh, well i mean i'm not jewish i don't know if you're jewish but you know thank it. you to the jews mm. that you know <laughs> thank you to jesus that we get we get to share in some of the blessings that they get so i think there's a very very conscious that that jesus is is a, he's a new moses but but mm. also he's more than a new moses because he gets to like appoint the 12 mm. apostles the 12 you know mm. the the just um, not the disciples the tribes had already been set by the time Moses went up the mountain at Sinai. So there's mm. there's a lot of stuff mm. here. Which and there's is a, bit, a bit of a spoiler here back. as well. Judas Iscariot. Who betrayed, <laughs> who betrayed him? him? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Judas I, is always with, who betrayed him? And then there's the Judas, 
who did not betray him, <laughs> like the other Judas is involved sometimes. I always think when I read that, do you know um, John le Carré, yes. the, the, the spy author, yeah. and his uh, Tinker Tailor, I think it's Tinker, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, spy. Yeah. but there's one bit when the, the, the guy's reflecting on, um, you know, double agents, mm. and he says, you know, Jesus himself only picked 12, and one of them was a double agent. Yeah. And I always think of that. And of course, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, I suppose, spoiler alert, I think Jesus always knew that one of the disciples was going to betray him. It was part of the call. Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't know whether he knew from the start that it mm. would be Judas or not. And it mm. must be incredibly painful, mm. but I do, I don't know. I, I, I sometimes take heart when, when um, I think we all have moments in life when we, when we, um, mm. I don't think I've ever been betrayed like, like Judas, um, but it just does remind me that, that. Um, well, we're you know, both vicars, right? Yeah. And when we first came, you know, you, I know you were, were leading a church and it was had difficulty and i've taken it when i took over my first incumbency it was difficult mm. and i remember i rem- and i'm sure people listening if they're priests or whoever you, you you're a missionary or you're going out or whatever it is maybe you, you're in christian ministry and you're feeling mm. the struggle yeah i remember when i first came here as an, uh, to my church i really struggled in the first two years and I, and I was like going through this like what is going on and this is really tough and i felt like people were making things up and you know there was these there there was things circulating that i just think weren't that wasn't true and i was like why is it such a struggle and i remember praying and and in this kind of sense the spirit and jesus's voice saying you're you are crucified by the ones you're sent to save <laughs> you know and and that was really powerful reminder mm-hmm. for me that if it happened to him, it will happen to yeah. me. That as in Christian ministry or even in your calling, whatever that might be, sometimes the call, you know, it does involve a crucifixion yeah. it, and you're called to love them no matter what. I mean, you're fact, called to love them no matter what. And that still loving, still loving and sowing in love in a very difficult mm-hmm. time in my uh, beginning of my ministry as an incumbent mm-hmm. where I made lots of mistakes. But... Um, Anyway, I felt so beaten up and battered and yet love the people came around and now I'm, you know, flourishing church. So I just mm. want to encourage someone out there, maybe listening and you're like, man, I'm struggling in this ministry. Just hear Jesus speak to you. And he says, you know, if they did it to me, they'll do it to you. You are often crucified by the ones you're sent to. Yeah. I mean, I, I, please hear us. I don't think we're comparing anybody quite to Judas Iscariot no. here. And Judas. Says, <laughs> you are not Judas if yeah. you're listening. Yeah. Um, but, but I... And I never got betrayed by somebody close to me in that way. Mm. But I did have times when I really struggled. Mm. And when people, you know, I had one particular time when I was in my last church Mm. um, where, you know, I really got it from a lot of people and people were pretty horrible to me, um, many actually outside the church. But it was really difficult. And remembering that actually Jesus has walked that path before me. And and, and I just, yeah, like you, that's been a real encouragement. Great. So we're coming up to the last little bit of this. What- I think I think that might I think we might be there. Maybe, maybe that will be our. Maybe you should have the last word on it. Well, <laughs> guys, look, we'll finish there, and um, well, I hope that's blessed you and talked about lots of different things. But um, thank you for coming to read with us, and um, we'll we'll see you again. And, and God bless you. Hey guys, uh, Rev Chris here, and I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to this podcast and maybe you're starting, maybe you finished it, wherever you are, um, just really want to thank you.
Obviously, to produce and put out a podcast costs money. And one way in which uh, people can support what I'm doing is through Patreon. And Patreon is a kind of a platform that's been set up to help creatives uh, to be creative and put things out in a kind of a world which costs money. So people can support from around the world. And I have many people who already give to Patreon that have allowed me to put together this podcast. Um, but if you want to be one of those people uh, and support what I'm doing and, and hopefully see some more content, then please do go to Patreon, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and type in uh, Rev Chris Lee. Um, and um, yeah, you should find me on there and be able to give. Thanks so much for your support. God bless. <laughs>